Would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We have two more sermons here in this chapter. Last Lord's Day evening, we read in verses 37 through 39 that the Lord Jesus Christ offers spiritual satisfaction in eternal life to anyone who comes to him. Anyone who hungers and thirsts to know the living and true God. Anyone who hungers and thirsts to have their sins forgiven and to be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. Anyone who hungers and thirsts for God's mercy when they know that they're deserving of God's wrath. Now this spiritual satisfaction comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit whom the Lord Jesus Christ promised that he would send and the Holy Spirit would give life and the Holy Spirit would make us new. The Holy Spirit would give us new birth and would satisfy our longing for God. And he would send the Holy Spirit after the Lord Jesus had been crucified, buried, raised the third day and ascended back to be enthroned in his father's throne and to rule over so sovereignly over his creation that when he returned to heaven he would send the Holy Spirit to us and this evening we're going to learn from God's word here in chapter 7 that the Lord Jesus the same one who says come to me anyone who's thirsty and drink this Lord Jesus causes division. So I'm going to read verses 40 through 43. We're only going to be covering this evening verses 40 through, I mean, I said 40 to 43. I'm sorry. I meant to say verses 40 to 53. This evening, though, we're only going to be covering verses 40 through 43. Uh, old men, old preachers sometimes bite off a lot more than they can chew. I thought we could finish this chapter tonight and there would be two points. And early on in the preparation for this I realized no, there's going to be one point. More than enough for one point. So would you follow along in your copy of God's word as I read aloud. Now remember he's just said, if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This truly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, No. For is the Christ going to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them were wanting to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to him, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken like this. The Pharisees then answered them, Have you also been led astray? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing? 
They answered him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own home. In verses 40 and 41, some of the crowd, when they heard these words, and what are the words that they're talking about? Back up in 37 and 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. When they heard these words, not when they saw another miracle, but when they heard these words, some of them were saying, this is truly the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. We ask ourselves, why would some say this is the prophet and so others say this is the Christ? It's because that at this point in the history of the Jews, they believed that the prophet that Moses had predicted would come, that is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, was one man, and the Christ that the prophets had predicted would come was someone else. It wasn't until after God sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the apostles began to see with spiritual eyes that the Lord Jesus Christ is both the prophet that, that Moses predicted, and he is also the Christ himself. He is the Messiah. So some of them were saying, he's the prophet. Some were saying, this is the Christ. And you can understand why some would say, this is the Christ, when you consider the recent history in Galilee and Judea. Who has been on the scene and caused such an uproar among the religious leaders and such excitement among all the common people? Just a couple of years before, it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had come with such power in his preaching of repentance that they had even asked him, Are you that prophet? Are you the Christ? And he had denied it. John the Baptist seemed to fulfill what they were expecting from the prophet that would bring God's people back to faith in himself and from the Christ who would speak with such authority and who would confront corrupt a religion. They were looking for the Christ. The believing Jews knew from Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 chapter, I'm stumbling over my mouth now, Daniel 9 verse 25 that it was time for the Messiah to appear. The years, the 434 years were fulfilled for the Messiah to appear. They were looking for him. They were anticipating him. And John the Baptist seemed to be perhaps the prophet. They all recognized that John was a prophet of God. And also many of them knew from looking in the scriptures, remember they were anticipating the Christ to come. They were anticipating Messiah to come. And some of them had been searching in the scriptures and they found in Micah chapter 5 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. As I said before, everyone recognized 
that John the Baptist was a prophet. And yet he had denied that he was that prophet. And he had denied that he was the Christ. And he had been pointing them and saying, listen, the Messiah is already among you. And you don't recognize him. I'm just a voice declaring that he's here. And then later, he pointed to the Lord Jesus and publicly claimed to at least a couple of his disciples, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John had done no miracles. And the Jews were expecting the Messiah to do miracles. But Jesus was famous for his miracles. Miracles of instantaneous healings. Miracles of casting out demons. And for those who have been in Galilee, even the miracle of feeding at least 15,000 people off of one small lunch. And Jesus' teaching was recognized as being even more authoritative than John's teaching had been. Jesus' preaching was worth more power than even John's preaching had been. And John's preaching had been powerful enough to where multitudes had been converted. Multitudes had been brought to back to the faith in Yahweh. Multitudes had confessed their sins and been baptized, repenting of their sins, ready to receive the Messiah. But even Jesus' enemies had to recognize and had to admit that he explained and applied the scriptures even more compellingly than their own theological doctors could do it. Now we're not surprised by that because after all he is the word. He is the living word of God made flesh but they didn't know that. So now Jesus is calling the Jewish people to come to him to have their spiritual thirst fulfilled. To have their spiritual thirst satisfied. And even John would never make a claim like that. So it seems that Jesus meets all of qualifications to be the Messiah. Except for one problem. Look in verse 41. Let's read that again. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Hmm. Still others were saying, third group. No. For is the Christ going to come from Galilee? <laughs> We've talked about this before. Understandably, they thought that Jesus was from Galilee. Verse 42, they say, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And they're right. That's true. The ironic part of this is they think he can't be the Messiah because they think he may not be of the seed of David and they think he was born in the wrong place. Whereas the fact of the matter is, he actually was born in Bethlehem, and he actually is of the seed of David. Luke chapter 2 tells us that Mary was a descendant of David. Luke chapter 3 tells us that Joseph was a descendant of David. So his mother and his adoptive legal father 
are both descendants of David. So he's got it on both sides. Biologically, he's a descendant, and legally, he's a descendant of David. He meets the qualifications for being the Messiah. And yet, John, with some humor, says, you know, this is the very thing that they're missing because they think he's from the wrong place, and they're not sure that he is a descendant of David. Now, why didn't Jesus just tell them where he was born? Why, did you, why didn't Jesus just verify the fact from the chronological records, the, the genealogies? I mean, that would have been easy enough that he's a descendant of David. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and we'll get an answer to that question. I mean, have you ever asked that question to yourself? They keep haggling over this over and over again. Lord, why don't you just tell them who you are? Just tell them up front where you were born. Tell them up front you were actually born in Bethlehem. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The mystery which has been hidden, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Here it is. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You want to know why the Lord Jesus doesn't tell them where he's from, actually? And why the Lord Jesus doesn't tell them, yes, I am uh, David's descendant. Because they might not have crucified him. And why had he come in the first place? To be crucified. To pay the penalty for our sins. That's the whole reason he's come to earth. So that's why he's not going to tell them. They might not crucify him. And then we get to verse 43. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. This always happens whenever Jesus is revealed. This always happens whenever Jesus is accurately and clearly preached. There's always a division. Some are drawn to him. Others are repelled by him. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because the Lord Jesus himself said, that's what was going to happen. Go with me again. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. be glad when the pages in this Bible are finally all loosened up. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. Do you think that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no. But rather, what? Division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter-in-law and daughter, uh, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And you say, why is there such a, a, a fierce division in these families? Well, go one more place. Matthew chapter 10. Verses 34 through 39. See if this doesn't sound familiar to what Luke just said. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. 
For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies shall be the members of his household. A man's enemies shall be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. The Lord Jesus Christ causes such fierce division on the earth. Because he says, he who loves anyone or anything more than me is not worthy of me. And when we see him as he is, when we see him as he is, with Holy Spirit awakened eyes, when we see him as he is, we will love him more than anything we will love him more than anyone. Because you see in these verses that we've been reading in Luke and in Matthew, he who loves anyone more than me, the Lord Jesus Christ is demanding supreme loyalty. And I'm going to keep harping on that for the next few minutes. He, de he demands a supreme loyalty more than loyalty for your family. More than loyalty for your nation. More than loyalty for your old friends. More than your loyalty for anything. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Yahweh the Son who became human. And because he is Yahweh, we are to re refer to him the same way that Deuteronomy chapter 6 says we are to refer to Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, created us. He created us. He gave us everything we enjoy. He gave us everything we enjoy. He gave us life. He gave us the physical life we have right now. He gave us the family we were born into. He enabled us and he made sure we were born in this nation. And not in Zimbabwe. Or not in North Korea. Or not in communist China. He gave us the job or the career that we have. He gave us that. He gave us the health we enjoy. And whatever kind of wealth we've been able to enjoy, he's the one who gave us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. When we're taking up offerings at Providence, often this comes up. What do you have that you did not receive? And the implication is, what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive from him? From him. He gives us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He gives us forgiveness of sins and eternal life when we trust him, when we turn to him. <laughs> he deserves supreme loyalty. He deserves a loyalty that supersedes any other loyalty to anyone else. Now, I'm not saying tonight that you're not to have loyalty to your family. 
And I'm not saying that Jesus said you're not to have loyalty to your nation or to your friends. But what I am saying is that the Lord Jesus Christ demands supreme loyalty that supersedes any other loyalty, is over any other loyalty we have. And here's where the division cuts. Because when you give the Lord Jesus Christ supreme loyalty over your family, over your nation, over your old friends, those who give him only lip service will be offended. And they're going to look at you like you're a traitor to them. Because they demand supreme loyalty. You get a phone call, it's your brothers and sisters, cousins, saying, we're going to have a birthday party for Grandma Sunday. Great! We're going to have it at her house. Yeah, we're all going to bring pot lunch. We're going to feed Grandma. Yeah! Meeting at 11 o'clock. And you say, well, after worship, I'll be there. What? No, no, you don't understand. We're meeting at 11 o'clock. And yeah, after worship, I'll be there. You put in church before grandma? No, I'm putting the Lord Jesus Christ before grandma. Friends call you up and say, we've got tickets to go hear this, this famous comedian. And you know you've heard excerpts of this famous comedian. This famous comedian has a filthy mouth and this famous comedian is going to blaspheme and mock the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I appreciate it, but uh, appreciate your consideration, but no, I'm not, going to go, I'm not going to go because I know that this comedian is going to mock my Lord. And they say, what? They're offended. Wait a minute, what about our friendship? We're friends. I mean, this is just fun. They're offended because your loyalty to Christ supersedes your loyalty to them. Or as what has happened recently with some people that I know. Boss comes in and says, hands you a paper there and says, read this. And then sign off on this inclusivity and embracing diversity statement for our company. And you read it. And it affirms that homosexuality is as natural as heterosexuality. It affirms the right to choose your gender of your choice. And the right to be addressed by whatever gender you identify yourself as. So that somebody with a beard like Brian can still claim that he's a woman and insist that you identify or refer to him as she or her. Or it affirms that all religions are the same. And it forbids evangelism or even talking about religion in the company as hate speech. You read that and you say, I can't sign this. This this is absolutely contrary to what my God stands for, what my God has clearly proclaimed and, and what I believe. And everybody in your department and everybody in your company is offended because you make a really good living but your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme and supersedes your loyalty to the company they say what do you mean and you have to say Jesus is still Lord or someone may come into this place or come into Providence and say why don't you have an American flag in the front of the auditorium 
All churches I've been in have American flags in front of the auditorium. We have to explain to them, we meet here to worship God, not to promote patriotism. You don't like America? Didn't say that. Or as I've said to some people before, you show me your honorable discharge and you've got an opinion. You show me your honorable discharge and I'll show you my honorable discharge and then we can talk about whether or not we love America. But our love for America is superseded by our loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here to worship America. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're offended because their nation no longer has your supreme loyalty. And it's because the Lord Jesus Christ demands supreme loyalty and that you give him supreme loyalty that there is a division. He always brings a division. And it's, what, notice what he said in verse 43, it's because of him. It's because of who he is. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. No one. There is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other truth but him. Exclusively. Or as John chapter 10 verse 30 says, he and the Father are one. Or as John chapter 8 verse 58 teaches that he is the great I am. He is Yahweh. And those who are offended by that are going to be divided from you because of who he is. And as Yahweh, as the great I am, as the way, the truth, and the life, as one with the Father, not the same as the Father, he's not the Father, but he is one with the Father, then there's the division because we give him supreme loyalty. Don't be surprised that those who are offended over your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ are as hostile to you as they are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to John chapter 15. Now what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about the division that the Lord Jesus brings. John chapter 15. Look at verses 18 through 21. This is a promise the Lord Jesus gives to all who would consider coming to him and trusting him. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. Why is there a division? It's a division because of him. It's not because we're unloving. I mean, we're commanded to love. We're commanded to love with agape love. And at some point, as we continue on through the Gospel of John, I will explain agape love yet again. But we're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to seek what is best for those who hate us and who persecute us. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. And he commands us to do that. And we give him supreme loyalty, and so we do that. 
It's not because we're not. It's not because we're unloving. It's because we belong to Him, and it's because we give Him supreme loyalty, and the world demands supreme loyalty. Your flesh demands supreme loyalty. But we give it to him. And therefore in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of your family. Or in the eyes of your old friends. Or in the eyes of patriots. You may seem to be a traitor. Because you put Christ above all the others. Your loyalty to Christ supersedes all other loyalties. In Massachusetts we had a lady. Matter of fact she was the first lady converted in the church up there. Doreen. I think she's probably with the Lord now. Doreen was raised Roman Catholic. And when she came to faith in Christ as an adult, and she began to tell her family, whom she loved dearly, about Christ, because you want the people you love to know Christ and to be saved, they turned on her like a pack of wolves. You know why? Because she had turned away from Roman Catholicism and the lies of Roman Catholicism to embrace the truth that's in Christ. And they looked on her like a traitor. Because she is from an Irish family. And to be Irish is to be Catholic. And to be in this family is to be Catholic. And when you've turned away from Catholicism, you've turned away from us. So her supreme loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ caused her the hostility of her family that she loved. Don't be surprised if they hate you because they hate me. Hmm. We, I get the, the Voice of the Martyrs prayer list every Friday. And it's amazing to me how many times in the Voice of the Martyrs you'll have a, a young couple in Laos or in Nepal or in Vietnam or especially in India it seems. Young couple will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some traveling evangelist comes through and, and telling their villages, preaching in their village about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come to faith in him. And all the family members in their village who are Hindus turn on them and kick them out of the family and will have nothing to do with them. And oftentimes what happens is the village leaders in their village will say, because you have turned away from Hinduism. Because to be an Indian is to be a Hindu. And because you have turned away from Hinduism. And from our gods. Plural. Our million or so gods. And because you will not participate in our idolatrous festivals anymore. You can't use the village well. Or they'll confiscate their land. Their farmland. That seems to happen in Laos over and over and over again. The village will confiscate their land and say, you can't farm here anymore. And then they'll confiscate their house and say, you can't live here anymore. And they're hated by their own families. And they're hated by their, their closest friends. Why? Because of him. It's not because they don't love him. It's not because they've done something weird. It's not because they consider themselves better than their family or better than their friends because they come to faith in Christ. Good night. When we come to faith in Christ, we realize what a bunch of rotten sinners we are. And we know we're less than most of the people we know. When I was first converted, I can remember in my foolishness, in my ignorance, 
praying one time and asking the Lord, Lord, why have you saved me and not Jim and not Peacock and not Gurley? Because they're all so much nicer than I am. I saw myself for what I really am. And I was just stunned that God would choose to say something like me. Yeah, they don't turn on us because we're holier than thou. Or because we're snooty. They turn on us because of him. You see, he has our supreme loyalty. And it's not the village. It's not the family. It's not the job. It's not the nation anymore. And they demand it. They demand supreme loyalty. Hmm. But here's the question. And somebody might ask this. But didn't Jesus say that he would draw all men to himself? Why is there division if Jesus said he would draw all men to himself? Didn't he say that? Well, yes, he did. In John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Well, if he draws all men to himself, shouldn't that unify people? Rather than causing a division because of him? Hmm. You need to understand that the word all can be used in two different ways. Keep this in mind anytime you hear the word all being read or being preached. It can mean each and every one. That is all without exception. Or it can mean all kinds that is all without distinction. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, we have the word all being used to mean each and every one. That is all without exception. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Each and every one that the Father has given to the Lord Jesus Christ will come to him and will be saved. But here in this passage... John uh, chapter 12 verse 32 is what I'm referring to. I will draw all men to me. It means all kinds of people will be drawn to him. You say, now wait a minute, Harry. How can you tell when it meets, when it means which one of these? Well, you look at who responds. You look at what actually happens. You look in the rearview mirror of providence and see what actually happened. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, we're told that all that the Father gives the Lord Jesus Christ will come to him. Now that's the guarantee of God the Son and God the Father. I think that's pretty much an ironclad guarantee. Each and every one that the Father has given to the Lord Jesus Christ will infallibly hear the gospel, repent, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Each and every one. But when he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Each and every human being is not being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's pretty obvious. But, human beings from each and every kind of people are being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. All sorts of people 
are being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, we're given a short list. The sorts of people that we're talking about. Greeks, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, worst kind of barbarians, bloodthirsty barbarians. They would kill their enemies, take the skull of their enemies, cut the top of the skull off and use it to drink the enemy's blood and wine out of the top of that skull. Bad barbarians. Even some of them had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Slaves and free men, all kinds of people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me, he doesn't mean he's going to draw every individual on the face of the earth to himself. What he's saying is, I will draw all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds to me. That's leaving the majority of mankind outside, not coming to him. So, if you were wondering, didn't Jesus say that he could bring unity rather than division? No, he's not contradicting himself. When the Lord Jesus Christ arrives, he always causes division. Because he is Lord. And he demands supreme loyalty. And he gets supreme loyalty from those who have been born again. And this is where I conclude. This is why easy believism is not the gospel. Easy believism has deceived hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of evangelicals in the United States. Deceived them into thinking they were saved when they're still under the wrath of God. You say, what is easy believism? What are you talking about? Easy believism teaches that you can accept Jesus as your Savior without receiving him as your Lord and still be saved. I have yet to find any place in scripture where we're told to accept Jesus as our Savior. You know what it means to accept, don't you? When you accept someone, it's the greater condescending to the lesser. I come to your house. And you accept me into your house. You own the house. You are the greater. I'm coming to eat dinner at your house. I'm the lesser. So you accept me in. If I don't know what I'm talking about, and I need to be educated, and I apply to the school, this school says he's an ignorant as a brick, but we'll accept him. They are the greater. I'm the lesser. When it comes to Jesus and sinners, who's the greater? So who accepts who? Yes, we don't accept Jesus. Jesus accepts us. But easy believism says, just accept Jesus as your Savior. Chop him up into pieces. You can't chop Jesus into pieces. He is Lord. If you're going to receive him, if you're going to welcome him, you welcome him as he is. As Lord and Savior. But easy believism says, don't worry about that Lord thing. Just accept him as Savior. Don't worry about giving him supreme loyalty. Just pray this prayer. That's how it usually goes. Pray this prayer. Some little form prayer they've got. And you pray this prayer and you'll be guaranteed to escape hell and to gain heaven. Have this little religious experience with us right now. And you'll be guaranteed to escape hell and gain heaven. Even though there's no new birth of the Holy Spirit. Even though your heart's not been changed. 
even though there's no saving faith, because saving faith is receiving Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For at the heart, one believes unto righteousness. That is, in your heart, you believe he's your Lord, and you receive him as your Lord, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But even though there's no saving faith, even though you've just gone through the ritual, even though you've just given mental assent to some religious fact, you're saved. In easy believism, pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ is merely an option. It's not a heartfelt daily goal that comes from an indwelling Holy Spirit. It's a conversion that doesn't convert. Now, what kind of conversion does it convert? All it does is horribly deceive those who've been lied to. And I'll say it again, who've been lied to. It promises peace with God when there is no peace with God. And the proof that there is no conversion is there's no division from the world because of Christ. Young man, say he's 15 years old. His preacher does a really good job one Sunday of preaching on the horrors of hell. And he, he doesn't want to go there. He believes it's real. He doesn't want to go there. And the preacher tells him during the sermon, if you'll come down here and pray this prayer, you can escape the justice of God. You can escape the wrath of God. And you're guaranteed heaven. And so he goes to the front. And he prays the prayer. He says the words with the preacher. And he leaves thinking that that prayer is some magic charm that's going to protect him from the justice of God. And from the wrath of God. And a couple of years later, he leaves home, he goes off to school, or he goes to another town and gets a job in another town, or he goes into the military, and he falls in with a bad crowd. You know why, why people fall in with a bad crowd? Because they're looking for a bad crowd to fall in with. He falls in with a bad crowd, and he spends his weekends getting high and fornicating, if he can find a girl to fornicate with him. There's no division between him and the world. He's prayed the prayer. I've got God on a leash. I'm going to escape hell. I'm going to heaven. I prayed the prayer. I got the ticket. So I can live however I want to. That's what he easy believism has told him. And he lives this way. There's no division between him and the world. He loves the world. He is the world. But he prayed the prayer. There is one final division that I'm going to talk about. And that division is found in Matthew chapter 25. Remember, we're talking tonight about how the Lord Jesus Christ brings division. And in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus, we're told, he, he gives a parable about a king coming back. And it's about the Lord coming back on the last day. Jesus Christ returning on the last day. And when he returns on the last day, he will separate his sheep from the goats. He'll put the goats on his left hand and he's going to put his sheep on the right hand. And to his sheep, he says, the ones he separated from the goats, the ones he's divided from the goats... He's going to say, 
Come, blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And to the goats that he's divided from his sheep that are on his left hand, he's going to say, Depart from me, you cursed ones. And, and depart into the eternal fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a clear division. But that division started back in his ministry on earth. That division is still happening today when people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because faith in the Lord Jesus Christ inevitably brings division from everything that is anti-Christ, we, like our Lord, urge those who are interested in him to count the cost of taking up his yoke. To count the cost. The cost is he gets supreme loyalty over everything else, over everyone else. If your family says, if you love us, you would leave that, that Bible teaching church and you would come back to our church. If you love us, you would stop all this teaching your children all these horrible stories out of the Bible and stop making divisions between us and you. Hmm. No, if I love you, I will divide from you so that you can see the clear difference. If I love you, I will give supreme loyalty to my Lord Jesus Christ and I'll pray for you. We warn people when you come to the Lord Jesus realize he gets supreme loyalty all that you are all that you have are his now you love your family you love your nation you love your friends but he gets supreme loyalty is that pretty plain? but when you realize when you're coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is it because you have decided that you're going to do this? Is it because out of your free will and out of your great intelligence and out of your spiritual superiority you finally decided yeah I think I'll just go ahead and get saved I think I'll do Jesus a favor I'll get saved now is that why you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? no what have we already seen in John chapter 6? no man can Come unto me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. Anyone who is interested in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is being drawn by the Father. Anyone who is interested in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is having their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. And when you see him as he is, when you see the alternative of rejecting him, and you see him as he is and that he has taken the wrath that we deserve on himself <laughs> there's really not much of a cost to count he's worth it he deserves our supreme loyalty would you stand with me please Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. 
Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.